Good Let's evening, see. everybody. Welcome to the Free State Podcast. This is episode 15. I misspoke last time. I said 13. It was actually 14. So this is episode 15. Thanks for tuning in. I'm here with Scott and Doug. Doug is hailing all the way from Wyoming tonight. Uh, Doug, tell us a little bit about uh, Wyoming. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's kind of windy. Um, it's windy here, too. So let's talk about population. Talk about the bison. Talk about, talk the, about bison the, bison, first. the bison that outnumber the people. Um, so let's talk about the bison. The bison here are a are they're on their state flag. They're they're up towards Yellowstone more and maybe out towards Laramie a little bit. I'm in Cheyenne, the state capital that has a little over sixty five thousand people in it. Um. You can buy guns here. Simply just walk in and buy one. Nice. <laughs> your driver's license is your ability to purchase. Um, everybody seems to have a very different attitude out here. It's a very laid back attitude. Very, It's a slower pace, but people tend to mind their own business a little bit. Like friendly, but not nosy. That makes sense. Um, cost of living is a lot cheaper. Um yeah, and right now I lucked out. We're the, in the two-month window where it is not uh, a hellscape outside. So <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's 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 the same temperature it is in Maryland right now. And um, yeah, that's my initial impressions. I've been here for 48 hours. I will report more next week on more information I find. How long are you out there for? I'm here till Sunday. Okay, cool. Uh, my aunt lived in uh, Cheyenne for, I don't know, like 15, 20 years. My uncle was a uh, Marine. He was stationed out there. Um, they had two pet wolves. Well, they were like wolf dogs or whatever you call them. But, uh, yeah, they liked it a lot out there except the the feet of snow. I've, I've heard some crazy stories about the amount of snow Wyoming gets. Um, yeah, it's definitely uh, – because you're up here like you're, like you're above 6,000 feet above sea level. So the wow. – it's definitely the the wind is stronger here and when it gets cold it gets cold so it's uh definitely definitely interesting to see i'm i'm looking forward to hearing more stories about it from people and uh yes on your topic of animals yes there are a lot of dogs here there are a lot of animals in general but a lot of pet owners a lot of very uh a lot of a lot of private ownership going on a lot of uh free thinking going on it's like everyone's a homesteader without actually being a homesteader it's actually really nice really nice cool so you're out there you're uh looking at a potential potential uh future employer correct yes yes i am i actually met with him today i met with the company today um i'll be getting paid the same th rate and even slightly more in some some capacity to what i was making in maryland in a place where the cost of living is almost half wow so, wow that would be uh, interesting. Uh... That would be that's nice. That's really nice. All right. Well, good luck to you, um, and hopefully you get the job. Uh, I don't want you to move away from us, but you know, got to do what you got to do. All right. So uh, there's we don't have anything local to talk about. There's nothing really new to speak of. Uh, plastic bag ban is still kind of chugging along in the uh, county council there's a few amendments made yesterday but uh they don't update it the day after it's a cut takes a couple of days so and uh we didn't watch it we didn't have time to watch it so uh you know so we'll update that next week um 
uh, last night I was on with the guys uh, of Punk Rock Libertarians, and um, if you haven't watched them, please go check out their show. They have a hilarious show. It's always good. And uh, I went a little bit more in-depth about my visit um, from the feds last week, and uh, it was fun. So go ahead and check that out um, if you want any updates about that uh, ordeal. I went a little more in-depth once I kind of figured out what I could say, couldn't say kind of stuff. Um, So, yeah, go check out PRL. Um, Great guys, great show. And if you never watched it. uh, They are friends of the show. Definitely friends of the show, for sure. So uh, maybe we'll get Alex and Otto and couple jared and all on sometime but uh just like everybody else they are busy auto has like four kids so you can imagine how busy he is so the first story we have for tonight is uh, a maryland educator shortage uh, act provides twenty thousand dollars stipend for student teachers and this article was from wbal um it's a new state law by $20,000 for student teachers who commit to staying in Maryland. Uh, my wife is a teacher and she is constantly complaining about how teachers are just leaving. They're not even like giving two weeks notices. She had two teachers leave over, um, over Christmas break. Uh, one of them they knew was leaving and the other just didn't come back. Um, so the way that the schooling system is in Maryland right now and the, the lack of uh, support that the teachers get from administration is just pushing teachers out of the profession altogether. Not even like they're moving to other states to go teach. They're just done with teaching period. Um, so the state is taking a major step toward training and hiring new school teachers amid a continuing shortage. Maryland school districts have made hiring teachers a year round assignment by spending more time on college campuses where they hope to land new prospects. Uh, student teachers at Morgan State University told 11 News that getting through the education program and landing a teaching job is not easy. One of their major roadblocks is money. There are countless stories of college students with a passion for teaching who face financial roadblocks. But a new state law, the Maryland Educator Shortage Act of 2023, uh, House Bill 1219, will help them pick up the cost to survive their student teaching assignments. Uh, I remember my wife, when we first uh, started dating, she was just at the tail end of her um, her bachelor's at Towson. So she was doing student teaching um, and doing some like started doing some long term subs and, you know, making shit money, like sh- horrible money for is what they were doing. I mean, they're, they're teachers. They are. Yeah, they're student teachers, but they're teaching classes and they're making like you know, twelve dollars an hour. And I think that's what they make now is about twelve dollars an hour. Back then it was ten or something like that. Um, Morgan senior Jalen Bridgeforth is a student teacher at Glenmount Elementary slash Middle School in Northeast Baltimore, and she knows the personal struggle to, uh, struggle of trying to stay in school while trying to make ends meet. This honestly is the difference from some for some people between am I going to work today or am I going to have a meal today. This money is going to be the difference between am I going to get into an Uber to go do my job and get an Uber back home, or will I be able to afford groceries, she said. The law provides a $20,000 yearly stipend over a 10-month period to student teachers. Uh, Bridgeforth helped to get the law passed by testifying before lawmakers. If we can get more educators in the classrooms, if having a stipend will encourage people to become education majors, then everything is good in my book, she said. Uh, to qualify for the stipend, students must be enrolled in a teacher uh, preparatory program, B 
be uh, part of a public school internship, show academic progress toward a degree, and commit to work two years in a high school needs or high needs school in Maryland. Uh, uh, many of the student teachers have gone through three years of college. They've paid a lot into tuition, and this will help them uh, with transportation and to have the professional dress. And there are lesson plans why they are doing their student teaching, and we get to keep them in the schools, which is exciting, says Cheryl Bose, president of the Maryland State Education Association. So, uh, I mean, in this opinion, look, we we always talk about, you know, abolishing public schools, but in my opinion, public schools aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Um and you get a lot of pushback even from more um, libertarian-leaning kind of teachers that just don't see it as a, a realistic uh, way forward just to abolish public schools altogether because there's so many things that have to happen before that can happen. Um, so in my opinion, this is, this is good, right? We need to retain teachers. We need well-educated people or else uh, we're all – all of Maryland will end up like Baltimore City, which is a uh, – Keeping cesspool of shit. So, uh, yeah, what are you guys' opinions on this uh, twenty thousand dollars stipend for student teachers? Oh, yeah, I'm just looking at like the uh, the requirements that go along with it um, that are listed in here. You know, specifically the you know, they have to commit to work two years at a high needs school in Maryland, which I'm assuming means it's a you know, there's some statistic for understaffing. And it's like, which, I, without being too familiar, like, you know, is this, I, where we are out in the county, like, how many of our schools are high needs? Like, is this mainly going to be focusing, getting people into teaching in Baltimore City and stuff like that? Um, surprisingly not. Um, pretty much every school that you can go to, uh, I know for at least in Anne Arundel County, there's shortages. Okay. Um, they're to the point where they don't even require teachers to have a bachelor's degree. Um, if you have the certifications that you can get, um, it's like a, a course you can take and you pay to take the test and you can pass the praxis exam for whatever, uh, like grade level that you're, you're trying to teach at. That's all they're requiring right now. Um, now they don't get paid as much because they don't have the degree, but, uh, there are a lot of teachers, um, that don't have, a degree they're just have the certifications because there's such a shortage that they're really loosening the the requirements to become a teacher which is uh you know kind of doing our kids a disservice uh actually my son's he's in a pre preschool program um he doesn't go every day but his teacher isn't um an actual teacher um uh, by de by degree uh so uh um I'm sorry, my kids yelling out there. Um, so yeah, so it, it's it's a it's going to help the state around all around. Uh, I know Baltimore City they have a history of not having really any teachers um, in the school. They have a few a handful of, of certified or of uh, like degree holding teachers, but everyone else is is certified uh, educators. I guess is what their their actual title is. And I'm I'm just curious. You you mentioned you know anecdotally your wife had some uh, fellow teachers that kind of left with left without notice. What what tends to be the reason that they're leaving? Are they going to other other school systems, or are they just leaving teaching altogether? They're just leaving altogether. Um, it's across the board across the state. Uh, there's a lack of uh, support for the teachers by administration. 
um, you know, since everything is about equity and and equality and all that stuff anymore, um, it uh, the, you have kids that are in classrooms with you know your regular kind of kids that shouldn't be in classrooms with regular kids. They either have some sort of behavioral issues, some sort of learning disability, and uh, they serve as a major distraction for not only the teacher because they're having to constantly stop their lessons to either uh you know discipline the kid or get them to calm down um give them the emotional support they they might need so something along those lines whatever their issue is and it's you know it's a detriment to the kids in there that are you know just trying to learn and uh you know this isn't just from my wife isn't the only teacher that i've heard this from um it's across the board it's everywhere i mean the the education system uh, the lack of support that teachers get and what they actually need is it's, it's kind of frightening and, you know, it, but they they just keep pushing equity in all these schools and the school system. And it's just not working. Uh, it's, it's equitable because it's bringing down the average student while trying to elevate the, the lower, uh, the lower students that really should be in their own class and with other students, you know, of their caliber. Um, so yeah, the, the school system's a mess right now. I, I, I mean, I can't see this hurting, especially with it's a bunch of kids, you know, student, student kids or college kids trying to get their degree. Um, so more actual degree holding teachers that have invested time and money into this profession, as opposed to just getting a certification and passing a, an exam to, you know, start teaching students, not saying they don't have a passion for it, but, um, could be argued that kids that go to college for this or you know they're more passionate about education than people that don't go through that process taking out loans and stuff right um so uh, the next article is uh, a consumer agency seeks faster action more certainty from maryland utility regulator uh this comes from maryland matters um by the way, I'd never said this episode was going to be sexy. This is, uh, <laughs> but this is this is the stuff that you know people need to know about. Yeah. And uh, look, all three of us are on this. We it's dead sexy. It's just a spirit. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the your the video is sexy. Exactly. Uh, the content is not that spicy, but it's it's important nonetheless. Um, so this is comes from Maryland Matters. Uh, a consumer watchdog is accusing a powerful Maryland uh, regulatory agency of taking too long to respond to its request for information and action and is now seeking a rule that would lay out how quickly the agency must answer its formal filings. The bureaucratic procedural gambit involves the Office of People's Council, which represents consumers' interests in utility matters in the state, and the Public Service Commission, which regulates uh, electric gas and some water utilities. Often enough, the two state agencies are in accord in cooperating, such as when the PSC le uh, levies fines against energy companies for overcharging customers. But just as often, the People's Council is prodding the PSC to open investigations, take more aggressive actions against utilities, or do more to confront climate change. Uh, in a 35-page petition filed last week, the OPC complains that the Public Service Commission is eroding consumers' rights by not responding fast enough some of his previous filings 
and asked the PSC to formally establish a timetable for answering the OPC's filings, arguing that procedural rules uh, have become necessary because the commission has ignored OPC's request to dismiss them without addressing their merits or allowed matters to linger for extended periods. Um, I mean, this, this is like a typical governmental bureaucratic shit, right? Um, even, even if they claim transparency on something, then, um, you have to go through, like they said, a, a gambit. That's, I love that word. Uh, a gambit of trying to get information out of these, uh, regulatory bodies and it's two of them. So it's not just like it's one, it's two of them and they have to work in unison and get this information out. Um, so yeah, it's, it's typical bureaucratic bullshit. That's not helping anybody. It's just hurting. Um, what do you guys what do you guys think of this? I think it's uh, not surprising that it takes a uh, large government body to with lack of communication skills and lack of efficiency. I don't think that it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that that will lead to delayed response times and dragging their feet. Now see the problem here is that when you're funded by the public, When you're when you're sorry, when you're funded by the public and you're pretty much you're kind of immune to the failures of the free market, you can do stuff like this because you're not going to be held accountable for it. It's much like the education system, the public education system. It's they can simply just say just pump more money into us. And that'll that'll fix the problem, but it hasn't. And Maryland is a very government heavy state. So what ends up happening is this stuff just keeps building and building and building. And then you just have this massive inefficiency and that that particular program just simply does not help anyone anymore. It's too much communication and not enough action. It's yeah. You're just going to go around in circles time and time again, because you have hopeless bureaucracy with jobs that simply do not need to exist half the time. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, Doug's got that Wyoming internet. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, you're frozen. If you can hear us. Um, the article continues saying officially OPC's filing is a petition for a rulemaking asking the PSC to adopt formal procedures that ensure that the people's council requests for commission action are addressed on their merits in a reasonable time. Uh, PSC rules currently provide no assurance that the commission will ever address OPC's filings. Um, and it goes on to say events over the past few years uh, established the need for this petition and written rules. With no procedures in place to assure the commission's consideration of matters OPC brings uh, before it, OPC cannot effectively perform its statutory role of representing the interest of residential ratepayers. Uh, correspondingly and of more importance, the commission's lack of clear processes for matters OPC presents for determination has undermined the commission's own uh, ability to perform its statutory responsibility of ensuring the public interest is advanced and that customers are receiving adequate, economical, and efficient utility service at just and reasonable rates. Um, now, this could be all argued that it stems from a complete regulatory body that regulates everything the utility companies do. And uh, the state allows uh, most, for the most part, BG&E to have a complete monopoly on the energy um, in Maryland. Uh, I think 
down south. They have uh, I can't remember the company down south, but I know in PG County it was Pepco and then yeah, Washington Pepco. Gas for uh, gas service. Yep, and but for the most part in northern and central Maryland, it's it's BG and E, and uh, they're not even based out of Maryland. They're based out of Philadelphia. Exelon. Um, yep. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, it, it's it's great that they're trying to do this um, to get more transparency from these agencies. But again, like most issues, it stems from a larger issue of the government subsidizing uh, utility companies that allows them to have a monopoly on the market. And then we're stuck with a subpar service and we literally can't get energy from anywhere else unless you were to have a, a completely off grid system. Um, like our, our buddy Doug um, has is pretty off grid for, for, for our electricity for, with his solar, uh, solar uh, panels. Because he doesn't, he bought his outright and has some system where instead of it feeding back into the power grid, it just directly powers like a battery pack in his house. Um, and I, he sent me the link for him, and those things cost a pretty penny. So, uh, it's yeah. an initial investment that you know hopefully will pay off in a decent amount of time. Which he always sends us updates because he's a nerd. So, uh, it seems like he's doing pretty good with it. Yeah, there's a. I don't know if you've ever watched it. There's a great video Thomas Massey did on his YouTube where he's uh kind of goes through the process of setting up his off the grid house where he bought like a a uh, a second hand like Tesla battery from like a crashed Model Three and use that uh, to replace. He had a bunch of like lead acid batteries that he was charging and they were kind of end of life. Um, it's like yeah, that that would be that would be nice to get to. <laughs> Yeah, I saw I saw like a clip of that video. It's crazy. See, I'm not I don't know anything about that really. So it's pretty crazy that you can take a Tesla battery and pretty much power your entire house. Yeah, I think he had to buy some kind of like a a piece of equipment that would mon that would and that had like software on it too that would monitor the charging cycles so that it would kind of optimize it, optimize right. the life of the battery and things like that. But yeah, that would be a lot nicer than you know, having to have uh, like a furnace. And I mean, it's just like another utility that you would have in your basement. It really didn't take up like that much space. If I recall correctly, um, right. For it's something that can power your house, which is, which is wild. Yeah. Um, that's something I'm just uh, uneducated on and ignorant of, but it's, it's pretty fascinating, but it does cost an initial investment to get into it. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, Again, being self-reliant, uh, energy is a big part of that and anything you can do to help. Um, like we, The way my house is set up, it would be perfect for solar panels, but uh, I just replaced my roof a couple years ago, and I don't feel like drilling holes in my roof. And yeah, I've heard horror stories of you know these companies like Tesla will come out and put these solar panels on your roof, and then uh, the, the, like the grommets and like the – the O-rings like go bad pretty quick on like the screws that they drill into your roof for the solar panels. Next thing you know, your roof's leaking and then you have to wait for them to come out, take the solar panels off so you can replace the roof. And then you got to wait for them to come back to put them back on. Um, so I've heard some horror stories and that's just something I'm not going to do, even though I probably benefit from it, the amount of sun that my house gets. Well, it also vo void any kind of warranty you have from your roofer if you have someone else yeah, doing that to your too. roof. 
Yep. Um, and uh, we have a, it's a 50 year warranty on the roof or at least the shingles. So um, yeah. my, I don't want to, I don't want to avoid that after like three yeah. years. I know mine. I just, uh, I had a shingle blow off earlier this year and I had, I had it replaced or I had the uh, roof redone like nine years ago and they gave me a 10 year guarantee on the work and they just came right out and replaced it and didn't charge me a thing. That's great. So it's like, yeah, if, but it's like, yeah, go mod, go make modifications to your roof. It's like all that stuff, if it gets voided. <laughs> I think right. uh, what's uh, Doug just has his like kind of propped up against the side of his house, maybe. Is, yeah, I think he has like maybe? a little um, little solar farm kind of yeah. deal that he, I think it's mostly like uh kind of a little haphazardly placed on his property, but, you know, it works for him and. He has waterfront property, so I think I think he has like running. He has like a very long, narrow kind of property, and it's like running along like his yard, going to the water and stuff. Um, yeah, I remember when he bought that property. It's been a been a cool journey, kind of following how he's been doing it. Um, he just nerds out a little bit too much for me sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, charm. Yeah, it's part of part of Doug's charm. It is plus. Plus the memes. All the memes. Are, the tracksuit meme is unstoppable. unstoppable. <laughs> Shout out to Joe for the dude uh, during convention when uh, he was making those memes in real time between him yes. and him. Yes. That, that he's able to make them so quickly. Like, I don't know. I, I I was sitting next to him and I was like peeking over. He had this app where it cuts out things and like yeah. cuts, cuts and paste things like super easily. And he was busting them out like no problem. You can tell he makes a lot of memes, right? Between uh, between Doug's memes and uh, Dan Fishman falling asleep. Oh hell yeah, those were the big the, the, no, the one the one where he's got him standing in the, <laughs> the tracks, so looking at Dan. Oh man, I can't Great. believe I can't believe Dan Fishman even came, let alone fucking fell asleep like yeah. during our speaker's uh, speech. That was that was hilarious. That that made it for me between the memes and oh, Dan God, Fishman baby. falling asleep. Yep. Oh, God, baby. And they they then they're sour that you know they lost control of the party, but they can't even stay awake for a for a couple hour convention. That's it. I love. <laughs> All right. Uh, next thing uh, I'm going to bring up is uh, widespread opposition to House Bill 119 and Senate Bill 199. Um. And what this does is it's going to change local control of education essentially to 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 the state. So we're uh, further centralizing the education in Maryland with these two bills. Um, this is from the Carroll County Observer. Um, I also have a um, in Arundel County document, but we'll get there. Let's go over the gist of it real quick. Uh, House Bill 119 and likely Senate Bill 199 would drastically change local control of education, giving the state superintendent massive control over local school curriculums, uh, including any local opt-out plans. Uh, now there is widespread opposition to this legislation. Um, the State Board of Education uh, actually opposes it. Let me click on this link real quick. They don't. They probably don't want to deal with the headache. That's probably, yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. Um, there's a statement here from the State Board of Education uh, because they believe it is unnecessary. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they just say that it's unnecessary. Um, maybe, I'm not sure what maybe is. 
I mean, this is all, you know, moot now, right? Because the session ended. It's not like I well, mean, I, they could always reintroduce it in the next year, right? But yeah. Um, because so I don't think it passed, right? I, I'd assume it didn't. Let me let's uh, look. Um, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, uh, it was interesting that though that our county council is still trying to push a resolution expressing opposition to it as well. So <laughs> it's like with the session over, yeah, maybe because, uh, because they're worried like it will get reintroduced next year and fighting it now might prevent it from um, getting brought up again. Uh, House Bill 119. That's a doozy. Let me find it real quick. Um, um, yeah, it got out of the House. Never got out of committee. For the Senate, um, in the Senate bill, let's see where it got in the Senate. So I guess it was it was introduced in both houses. So um, it was, you know, I don't. I, I guess the idea behind introducing the same bill into two different the two houses would be just for, uh, I guess, a higher chance of it getting passed with. Uh, less chances of it getting struck down, but it didn't even make it out of committee in the Senate. So uh, the Senate killed it. And then, it, yeah. Yeah. So it got introduced in both. It looks like the house passed it, but the uh, Senate never took it out of committee, but apparently this thing must be pretty bad. If all these people are opposing it, yeah. um, in on County actually had a resolution seven dash two, three, two, three, uh, urging the Maryland General Assembly to oppose House Bill 119 and any amendments to conform State Bill uh, Senate Bill 199 to State House Bill 119. Um, let's read this real quick. Yeah, did we say what exactly the bill is yet? <laughs> well, it's it it sounds like it's just. Let me bring it up real quick. Yeah, the the gist of it I got was that it would be giving the State Board of Education. Um, you know, having them set a statewide framework for, you know, curriculum and things like that, mm -hmm. kind of taking that away from the county boards of education as it is now. Um, curriculum guides and courses of study requirements um, for the purpose of requiring each county board of education to follow the policy and guidelines for the program of instruction for public schools established by the state board of education requiring the state superintendent to provide notice to a county board. If the state superintendent determines that the county board is not following the state board policy and guidelines or is authorizing students to opt out of instruction in a manner that is not approved by the state board, requiring the state superintendent to direct the state uh, comptroller to withhold certain funds from the county board. If the county board does not resolve the discrepancy within certain periods of time, requiring the state comptroller to release funds withheld if the state superintendent determines that the county board has resolved the discrepancy and generally relating to a county board of education's curriculum guides and courses of study. Um, the bill, as it is most recent, there's a bunch of amendments to it um so yeah it just looks like it it's the state board uh 
could legally kind of hold the uh, the county school boards like uh, hostage if they don't do what they what they want them to do. But it's it's weird that it it's weird that the state board disapproves of this and it's concerning like more authority for them. So like you were saying, it's probably just they don't feel like dealing with it. Um, and it's probably just a horrible bill that wouldn't yeah. benefit anything. Um, well, it's like every every fight over this kind of stuff that might be happening at the county level would just get ele- elevated up to the state level. Right. And then they'd have to deal with it. Um, one of the articles that uh, was I, I can't remember what I how I got to this one, but it, it said that apparently the House version was originally written to just address health education in Maryland schools. And then um, there's a quote from this one state senator, Clarence Lamb, or seeing a gradual turn with erosion of ad- adherence to standards that are set by the state, which are which we feel are important to every single student. And uh, they amended it to basically cover, you know, most subjects, you know, math, social studies, history. So um, curious, you know, why there was this initial desire to do it with health education um and then expanding it too but Hmm. i wonder if it's uh like anything to do with um like sex education because i mean sex education falls under health so i wonder if it would like lay the groundwork for you know what people you know majority people don't like and believe it or not doesn't uh, happen is like teaching kindergartners about like sex and stuff like that. Um, it could, it could, I guess it could potentially lay that groundwork and that was the initial push and they probably tried to kind of hide the premise of the bill with all this extra wording that they put into it. Cause it, it is pretty wordy and there's a bunch of different, um, uh, a bunch of different articles in it that, um, pretty much just like prevents the county from changing their curriculum without state approval. Um, so yeah, it's just it's kind of it seems like state state trying to take control of it, but state board doesn't even want to do it. So that's 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 a really silly bill, and it's kind of scary to think that our legislation could do something against the will of the potential governing body or the governing body in control of you know, statewide education and force the counties to do what they want or else they uh, lose funding. I mean, like who's that helping? Let's just take their funding so that they can't, you know, keep educating their kids just because we disagree with them. Uh, That sounds like uh, fascism to me. (laughs) But the conservatives are the fascists. Remember that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just thinking more about it too. It's like you know, with the way Maryland is kind of geographically and politically, where you have kind of the more conservative areas in Western Maryland, Appalachia, and then the Eastern Shore as well. And it's like, and then the middle of the state is basically progressive. Um, yeah, right. And it's just Southern Maryland, uh, depending on where you are as well. Like in uh, Charles County is turning more and more blue by the year, but um, Calvert and St. Mary's are deep red. Yeah. Well, well, and even it even goes to like, like in Ron County. Yeah. It's a blue County. But if you, once you go past like Annapolis, you it's red, it's super red. 
the more rural, rural it gets in Anne Arundel, the more red it is. I remember I was going down to visit a friend in St. Mary's County um, during the 2020 election. And once I got past Annapolis going down Solomon Island, Solomon's Island Road, it was nothing but Trump, you know, yard signs and flags and, um, you know, but it, it's kind of the, the MO of Maryland is that the people that are conservative or Republican or liberty leaning or, or whatever you want to call it uh, tend to have much larger swaths of property, but because it's such a, you know, a less dense population uh, in that area, they just get wiped out by the, you know, the cities and the more liberal densely packed counties and areas of the counties. It, that's really like the whole political divide everywhere nationally is that kind of rural urban split. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, that's not unique. Move out of cities. Yeah. I'm, I'm about as close to a city um, as I ever care to get for the rest of my life, honestly. Um, yeah, move to Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, right. Right in the chat. It, well, here's the thing. Right. I'm going to talk about political landscapes. Wyoming is one of, per capita, is the most red state or one of the most red states. So the thing about, obviously, we have issues with reds as well. Um, they're not very open on the uh, drug market. They're not very open when it comes to uh, marijuana legalization and things of that nature. Um, there's a lot of, uh, like, you actually, if you walk right into downtown Cheyenne, the Wyoming Republican Party, like, their storefront has it on there. It's just like a protect civil rights, uh, no legalization of marijuana, like stronger borders. Well, it's, 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 a, it's a Trump and Trumpington sign. Yeah, so it's just the way to really put things in perspective. But I, when you talk to people on the street, you know, when you talk to the people on the street, he, he had to dip out for a second. But the way when you talk to people on the street, there's a lot of libertarian leanings. Like I tell them what I am and they're like, oh, so you're a liberal? I'm like, no, I'm like, and then I <laughs> talk to them about, I basically tell them like I want newly married gay couples to be able to protect their marijuana fields with AK-47s. And a lot of people agree with the sentiment. So, I mean, there's definitely more work to be done out here. I really do believe that it can be a more gold state in that way. And so our generation and below doesn't have the same diehard grip on that Archie Bunker mentality. So I, I do believe that that is something that is very nice. And people are very polite here because... Well, when you're all strapped, I guess you don't have to really fear the other person that much. But I mean, it doesn't it doesn't come across to me at all that anybody has any like ill will towards me or anything like that. It just comes across as like, oh, okay. Anyway, so I'm they're doing. I'm like, yeah. So it's uh, yeah, I'm liking it so far. Yeah, nice. All 48 hours that I've been here. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask if you're near uh, Kanye West's ranch out there, but I think he's in a completely different part of the state. <laughs> well, it's weird. It's like I'm actually closer to Colorado. Like the, right. actually the, the, the closer city is like Laramie is where University of Wyoming is. Right. And that's like almost an hour away. Like depending on how straight of a shot it is, like 48 to 50 minutes. Fort Collins is like 45 for Colorado. So, I mean, there's definitely, it's interesting that a state capital is like closer to the edge of the state, but it's interesting. 
to say the least. Yeah. Done talking about Wyoming. No. Sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I had to step away, so I just want to verify before we move on. Yep. All right. Um, the next article for tonight is uh, if I had to guess, this story probably uh, and when it happened probably made national uh, news. It was um, this man uh, was accused of shooting two squeegee workers back in May of 2021. Holy crap! I didn't even realize it's been that long. Yeah, um, when I saw this, I, had, I hadn't. This was the first I'd heard of it actually. So. I remember when it, when it happened. Um, but geez, like, yeah. it's almost been two years. It's crazy. Um, so the Baltimore City State's Attorney Office on Tuesday dropped the case against a man who was accused of shooting two sque- squeegee workers. Uh, I don't even know how to say that name. Samuel Dixon, 26, was accused of shooting two sque- squeegee workers in May 2021 after his mother reported that people who were washing windows stole more than $2,000 from, uh, from her using Cash App. And I don't know how that works. I think they like stole her phone and... like quickly opened her cash app or something like that and but that's exactly what they do they'll snatch it right out the, the window of your car like they'll you know try to get you to pay and if you open the window at all and your phone might if you have your like a mount on your phone or if it's in your hand you know they'll just they'll just snatch it right out and then yeah that's basically how it works um yeah, I remember remember hearing about this. Uh, one victim suffered a traumatic brain injury and was not in position to testify. A spokesperson told WBAL News Radio the other victim was unable to be located before the trial. Dixon was scheduled to stand trial on charges that included two counts of attempted first degree murder. Um, which, uh, like, I don't know the specifics of the case like i don't know if he was like a legally carrying um like concealed carry permit holder back in 2021 i doubt it yeah. um but let me, let me see if i can find a little bit more about it yeah all i'm saying is that they dropped it yeah yeah it doesn't say so, so look, well, I mean, just from reading this, you know, the, the one victim, they suffered a traumatic brain injury. They're not, you know, able to testify and then they can't locate the other victim. So it's there's nobody to testify against him. And that's why they're dropping it. It's not like this. It, it seems, you know, there's this, you know, note about, you know, that his mother had two thousand dollars stolen on the cash app and that maybe it was they they dropped the charges because of some th- sympathy for that, but really it's just, you know, the, the Baltimore MO of, uh, you know, snitches get stitches, so they, they can't get people yeah. to show up a trial. Yeah, no, right. that's not a, that, yeah, no, Baltimore, Philly, DC, all that, they're not, that's a very deeply entrenched thing. You do not snitch. Right. Well, um, I guess good for him. I mean, a little bit retaliatory in his actions, but um, but we're, we're we have already seen a case well, of um, a concealed carry permit holder. Um, I think he killed a, a guy. He was like attempted robbery, uh, shot and killed the guy, 
and all charges were dropped. Never even had never had to go to trial or anything. I guess they did their you know preliminary investigation and found that he had did no wrongdoing. It was justified in the shooting. So um, you know it it's it sucks right because anytime a loss of life, you know, except for pedos, but for the most part, any loss of life it, it is it's never a good thing. But um, you know, the sooner that we're we as law-abiding people, uh, or you know, mostly law-abiding people, um, fight back, and you know, people start seeing consequences for their actions. Maybe, maybe this place, Baltimore City, and such, will get a little bit better. Um, but you know, I don't think a lot of these kids even think about consequences, or even care what the consequences are right they're like if if i die i die kind of deal because they're either gonna you know get shot by somebody down the street from them or you know their lives are so horrible that you know it's such like a nihilistic kind of way of life for them that you know law they're them dying is not like the worst thing that can happen to them right like probably going to jail They'd probably die rather than go to jail kind of situation, if I had to guess. I can definitely uh, sympathize with that particular feeling. You know, it's uh, especially if you've committed a certain crime where, you know, for a fact, you're going to get life in prison. It's like, right. uh, It's also you also have to think about the way a lot of people live, too. It's like when if you're living in extreme desperate situations, you know, it's one of those like. If I die, I don't have to grind like that anymore. You know, so I'm not saying that that's what they were thinking, but I'm saying that it's definitely when you have nothing to lose in a financial or future sense, then there's really what what grip do you have on your life? Like, what is the purpose? And that's the that's sort of the reason why I think that we should take issues of the inner city and just poverty in general very seriously because of that. It breeds a hopelessness, a generational hopelessness. Right. So it's something that you, when you combine that with violent tendencies, it definitely, you get very dangerous people because they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yep. So there's, it definitely has a, has its place. Well, it's kind of like the saying, you see somebody like stealing like diapers and like baby formula, like you look the other way, just look the other Mm -hmm. way. You know what I mean? It. The, the, the amount of money that that place is losing compared to what that person's gaining. Look, there's a time and place to be, you know, a justice warrior or, you know, whatever. But sometimes you don't know what people's circumstances are in. Um, and uh, <coughs> I just I'm just pr- I'm just glad that I never had to live that life. And, you know, i I lived in Baltimore city and you, you take a couple wrong turns and you're in that kind of area and you can just see just from the outside, you know, the kind of uh, like squalor that these people live in just because they have no money. There's no opportunity. There's not even a, a grocery store. Where we can get a fresh apple. You got like the corner stores with the fried chicken and the lake trout and get a bag of chips and a soda. Like that's what you're eating on a regular basis is junk food. Um, not having, you know, good, healthy food, fresh food, healthy fats and things like that. It's a detriment. All right. Sorry. Um, 
Uh, yeah, anything else on that one, that that article? Sorry, my wife came in. Breaker, trip to breaker in the kitchen. Yeah, just, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was another, like, one of these cases, except it wasn't the the motorist that shot one of these squeegee workers. It was the, he, he went after him with, like, a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. And then got, and then one of the kids pulled a gun and shot him. Um, I, but I don't remember like what actually ended up having happening because then like they charged the kid with, you know, the, I think the guy died and they charged him with, uh, you know, murder or some, you know, or manslaughter, one of those. Um, and there was debate about whether or not, you know, if you know Maryland, we don't have a stand that your ground law, but like. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have a duty to retreat, but it's like somebody's coming at you with a baseball bat. Well, the the thing was the kid, the kid that killed him, I think he was like 14 or 15 or something like that, maybe younger. He had left the scene and then came back with a gun and then shot him. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was like I, I remember that like that that in that little action right there by him leaving the situation. And then coming back and shooting the guy that was like, right. Uh, like, you know, granted he's a juvenile, but I I don't think they charge him as an adult because he was so young, like 14 or something like that. Um, but I mean, that, that kind of set the, um, <coughs> set the precedent for like these new, like initiatives by the, uh, by Baltimore city mayor to, um, uh, like do like these work programs and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know why my internet's being whack. It's not close to skip to main content. Yeah, I can't remember what what came of that case. For some reason, my Google's not working. It's probably the feds <laughs> read into my shit again. My shit's really been acting weird since that day last week. Yeah. Um, yeah, they got to copy all your internet traffic. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Scott, can you uh, take the lead on this this next one, this last article that we have for the night? I put it in the chat. I got to go f- switch this breaker on for my wife. Thanks. Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, this one with uh, Ben Cardin. Yeah, he stepped away. Yeah. So Ben Cardin's our senator here in Maryland, and uh, if you haven't been paying attention to national news, there's been a lot of push lately about Diane Feinstein. She's California senator, um, and she's hospitalized. She hasn't been in the Senate for you know, weeks and weeks, um, and they only have a one-vote margin in the Judiciary Committee, which means they can't approve any judicial nominees and get them out of committee for votes. And so there's been this push to try and get her to resign. They want to try and temporarily replace her, and I guess Ben Cardin, our senator here in Maryland, is the one that was selected to temporarily replace her. <clears throat> However, I, I don't believe that they'll be able to without. Oh, oh, sorry, I froze for a second there. I don't believe that they'll actually be able to replace her temporarily without the help of Republicans. So it's not really sure. And they've already said that they're not going to play ball at all. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, Doug? <clears throat> You know, it is interesting to me that um, I'll admit I don't pay too much attention to this, but this one piqued my interest a bit because I definitely have you ever noticed how Maryland's senators 
in Maryland products, especially in the Democratic Party, always end up being somehow key cogs in certain machines when it comes to legislation and things of that nature. Like, there's definitely Maryland is joined at the hip with the National Democratic Party, and it is interesting to see. But um, it's like when um, like the Nancy Pelosi stuff and all that stuff when that came out, like it was just one of those like like well just throw a dart at a board, anything that's ever involved her and you can have a discussion, but you know, it's definitely a interesting thing. And yeah, this one, I'll have to reread it again, but it definitely was something that piqued my interest when I saw it. I was like, hmm. It's, it's just, it's just one of those things with, you know, so many of the political leaders are just so old <laughs> Yeah. for, and you know, it's, you know, I've had, I have grandparents that were pretty old and, you know, it's a, you try to be respectful of that, but at the same time, it's like there there comes a time when maybe they need to recognize that they're not really able to serve in that capacity anymore and step aside. Well, that's um, even that. So, sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, like you have to think at a certain age, you know, like you're not seeing the world as it is now. You're seeing it as you saw it then. And like every lens that you look through will have that. And that's not something that's special to them. That's just human nature. So why is it that a man that's 50 years old running for something is somehow seen as more qualified as someone who's 30 running for something? If you're 30, even in, maybe even in your late 20s, too, you could argue that there's an experience, but you can also argue that they're more in touch with how people feel and how things are affecting people in that moment. And you can't really replace that. Like, I mean, I would rather listen to a guy who's 30 than listen to a guy who's 80 when it comes to a certain issue most of the time but it's so there's definitely i don't i, mean, I think well there is some knowledge gained from actually living through history i feel like um as opposed to just getting it secondhand but well nowadays everything moves so fucking fast that yeah you know and i'm 31 years old and i've seen you know the war and terror you know a pandemic you know, it's so many things have happened in my lifetime, like not even just since I've been born, but things that I can like actually remember, like as a kid. Um, it's like last night I was talking about um, in PRL, I was talking about when uh, we killed, you know, allegedly killed Osama bin Laden. And I was in high school. So I was like 17 or 18. And I remember just waking up, like randomly just woke up in the middle of the night, turned on the, the TV and clicked on the news i've just always kind of been like a news news buff um and it was osama bin laden he was like his like at home um it was like his uh i think it was after he killed him i can't remember if it was like their his at sea burial which is sketchy in itself or when they actually killed him but it, like at 17 18 years old not politically like involved or really anything yet and i mean like you know this this I I have questions about this because Obama's uh, approval rating was plummeting at the time. And then just so happens that Osama bin Laden got killed when he had been on, you know, dialysis, living in a cave, moving from cave to cave on dialysis like it, you know, and then knowing that he was a CIA operative, you know, CIA trained person in the 80s and things like that. And he helped help fight the Russians in Afghanistan and and. He was, he was funded and backed by the CIA and he was, you know, American educated and all that shit. Like it was just, it was just sketchy. Um, and it's just, 
you we have seen like at 31 years old i have seen enough things in my life and have seen things happen and then the actual truth come out to like have an actual good grasp on reality and the way that people are feeling i'm just trying to make a case of why i should have gotten elected for state senate but um <laughs> but i mean there there is there is life experience to be had especially as far as like the political uh, atmosphere um in in 30 years and then sure the the you know the lifespan was less back then but think about like all of our founding fathers like they were like in their 20s early 30s when they literally founded this country uh george washington he was like the oldest one out of all of them and he was kind of a freak of nature he was older than a lot of people he was you know six foot three and huge guy for the time um but yeah most like Thomas Jefferson, he was like 26 or 27 or something like that. You know, John Hancock, I think, was like 29 or 31. Um, like, you know, we see all these pictures. They're always wearing white wigs. So you assume they're just like, like you know, middle-aged guys at least. But these guys were in their 20s and their 30s literally fighting an, a giant, this, the most power, powerful empire at the time. And here they are fighting them and then creating their own country in their 20s and 30s. So it's like you know sure the 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 way life was back then was different you grew up a hell of a lot faster but at the same time it doesn't mean that cognitively or like uh like physically that our brains are developing any less slow than they were back then like we still we have the capacity to do these amazing things at a younger age it's just become such a cultural norm that you know yeah you should respect your elders but it doesn't mean that you should vote for the 50 year old over the 30 year old just because he's 50 yeah, I agree. I don't know. Right, I, just, um, I just add to like, because you kind of t- reminded me, like, you know, one of the things I remember, like, after 9 11, the whole war on terror, it was like, it was very similar to like the experience with COVID, where it was like every day, if you'd turn on like the cable news channel, they'd have the terror alert level and then yeah. periodically move it up, go from orange to red, down to yellow to blue. And it was just like, living through that and remembering it and then seeing them do the exact same thing with COVID where they have the, you know, death counts, the case mm-hmm. counts on the TV screen and they're updating them. 24 you know, seven coverage of everything. Yeah, and they've got the maps where it's like, Oh, your County's in the, you know, high, you know, high spread, you know, and it's just like, it's the same thing over. And, and that's kind of what I was getting at with like, you know, actually living through those things and remembering them. Cause like, I don't know if like when people, when, younger people learn about like you know the war on terror the bush years basically like how much it you know that of a lot of it was kind of a psychological operation to get people to support the the war on terror itself oh yeah um, i mean it was yeah. i mean you could be argued that's the start or you know one of the the stuff like, i guess it could be argued that it's the start of like the fifth generational warfare you know psychological warfare and it's um it's not you know, well, the average everyday civilian, you're you're fighting their minds and things like that. Well, I'm sure if we had like somebody who's a couple gen- a generation or two older, they'd they'd be like, oh no, well no, back back during Vietnam or you know? yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, yep, yeah, or during uh, the Reagan years, but yeah, during the Reagan years, <laughs> yeah, yes. everybody so. loved him for some reason, but you know, now here we are looking, you know, fifty years in the future, and we all can pretty much agree that. He's, he sucked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
the trickle down economics, guns, no to drugs. I mean, he did a lot of horror. He set a lot of horrible precedents that we're still dealing with 50 years later. And, uh, you know, things are, are slowly starting to change. Uh, but goddamn, the war on drugs, that's the, the, the most complete and utter failure of, of any president. Um, fucking Nancy Reagan, just say no. Yeah, and then you had like Nixon that started the whole thing of I'm declaring war on public enemy number one. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, please, let's follow that guy's example. Please, let's follow that guy's example. Right. All right. Well, you guys got anything else uh, to add? That's all we got for tonight. Um, actually, surprisingly, I didn't think we'd go for an hour tonight, but here we are. Well, you know, in why you know. So going forward, uh, now that legislation's done, um, this is kind of a transition week. Um, legislation's done, and honestly, when I started this podcast, I didn't even think about when legislation was over, right? So um, going forward, we're going to have more interviews. Uh, we're going to try to still keep the interviewers or the the guests Maryland based, but uh, that'll change, and uh, we're just going to go with the flow keep up to date on things that are happening because things do still happen. Uh, just not as like the actual legislation and bills kind of passing, but you know, we have uh commie Westmore. So he's going to, you know, be pushing shit while he's in office and things like that. And nationally, there's going to be stories to talk about. So, um, so yeah, the format's going to change a little bit, the, not the format, but you know what we're kind of talking about and we'll have more guests. Uh, we've only had one guest since this podcast has started one no two uh scott spalding and then the uh, annapolis auditor so um so look out for more guests uh if you guys have any recommendations or like to see somebody uh reach out to us either email or twitter or facebook whatever and um yeah with that i'm uh i'm good to sign off scott doug thanks for joining me tonight doug safe travels uh back to maryland uh this weekend and uh thanks for for watching everybody see you next week see you guys Bye. Bye. Bye.